I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. Of course, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. As always, I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers, also appearing as host of the Netflix series 28 Days Haunted and the Travel Channel Discovery Plus show Paranormal Caught on Camera. And I'm actually getting over a bit of a cold, but it is a well-earned cold because I've been running myself ragged. The last few days I've been at in Louisville, Kentucky or Louisville or Louisville or, but I'm going to just say Louisville, Kentucky. And in addition to exploring spirits and booze in the form of bourbon, I was exploring spirits and booze in the form of Waverly Hills Sanatorium and uh, that was with the Strange Escapes event group, of course, led and operated by Amy Bruni of Kindred Spirits. And it was a great fun, great time. Got to meet a lot of folks out there, all of my fellow spooky nerds. And if I saw some of you guys out there, give me a shout out in the comments. If you are watching this live, love to hear from you. Up next, I'm heading to Mansfield, Ohio State Reformatory in Ohio. So I'll be exploring that as part of Parasycon next week. Parasycon, there's still tickets available for that. Another little announcement. I'm very excited about this. So you, if you're listening to the audio version, you're going to hear this ad talking about the Smell of Fear Candle Company. Well, Smell of Fear Candle Company is partnering with Talking Strange. And with the Strange 15 discount code, you can get 15% off your order at thesmellofear.com. But what I'm excited about, I'm going to reach behind me and see if I can grab it. Smell of Fear was very nice. They sent me some Sasquatch, a Sasquatch candle that smells of... A, now, it doesn't smell stinky like we say Sasquatch is, but it smells of redwood musk and pine earth, natural wax candle. Very delightful. I like it a lot. I'm going to be uh, putting this ablaze later. They also sent me a nice, cool candle, scented candle, and a skull jar. And the other thing is if you email me at talkingstrange at denageek.com with a story about encountering phantom smells a cigar perfume or maybe you were in the woods and you smelled a less uh, aromatic or less pleasingly aromatic sasquatch or something like that send it to me send your stories to me and you could win a gift set from the smell of fear candle company okay i have i have prattled on for far too long because i want to bring in my guest her name is Charlie Guy, and she is a ghost tour guide with the City of the Dead Tours in Edinburgh, Scotland. I had the opportunity to join her for a tour last year, and I have been trying to get her on board for the podcast. And look, uh, I she's she's a very busy person. And because in addition to being a ghost tour guide with the City of the Dead Tours, she is a researcher with a focus on 19th century death traditions and superstitions and monumental architecture she is also a human anatomist and trained in full body dissection so with that said let us go ahead and bring her on and and get those questions ready charlie charlie thanks for joining me today hey how's it going that was a very long introduction you should have just said qualified weird that that works 
I like qualified weird. That is, you know, we, uh, the, those of us in this spooky nerd community, we embrace the word weird and weirdo as, uh, it's, it's those that take control of their own destiny. And yes, tribe. So yes that's right. So, well, and I, I see we're also joined by some other guests in the background there. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's George and Bertie behind me as well. They're my, my two friends. So. Right. They're looking a little thin, it seems like. Yeah, well, you're not the first person that said that. If I had a pound for every time that joke had been made, I'd have about a fiver. But... Uh, well, I appreciate it, uh, Charlie, for pointing out how unoriginal my jokes are. <laughs> right. To be honest, I'm, I'm still writing down spirits and booze because I'm stealing that. Oh, okay. Um, Please yeah. do. <laughs> so I know you're not originally from Edinburgh. No, I'm from Leicester originally. Leicester. Okay. And actually, you know, us Americans, we have a difficult time with some of the About an hour north of London. Yeah. Oh, oh, I know Leicester, actually. And okay. and I know not to pronounce it Leicester, a Leicester or whatever. Uh, you know, we know Leicester. But mm-hmm. just to kick things off, I so a long time ago, I did live in Glasgow for mm-hmm. a while and I made a lot of jaunts over to Edinburgh. But am I mispronouncing? I know some people say Edinburgh. Edinburgh. That's wrong. Uh, right. Edinburgh. 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 Yep. Saying it okay. fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was actually quite impressed go. with you because most most Americans get it wrong. I know. We. Yeah. Well, I, I I live in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and we just mm-hmm. say Williamsburg. So, mm-hmm. um, but what would you say makes Edinburgh a good paranormal city? And you can take that word in any way you so okay. choose. Um. So the way that I like to think of it is that, um, so there's a, a theory of haunting that I'm sure you guys have, have heard about because you're my, my weird nerdy community called the uh, stone tape theory of haunting, which is that uh, energy will collect and store and then uh, events will repeat a bit like playing a, a videotape. Now Edinburgh is so old and there's it's essentially a city upon a city upon a city. It's been rebuilt and knocked down and rebuilt and these things have happened, but it's all been contained in the same space. And I just think it's such a, a collection of energy in that space. It makes it very um, active uh, for paranormal things to happen, whether that be poltergeists, uh, whether that be ghosts, and there's ghosts in every corner in Edinburgh. Um, we've got lots of just interesting little folk history things. Walking down the Royal Mile, there's loads. So it's just you can learn something new every time you go out in Edinburgh, and there's always something to kind of pick up on and research and dig into. So it's just a fascinating place to live. Really. What what? what was a story from the city that's that that predated you actually living there that that fascinated you oh there's so many so i i actually got in touch with uh, jan henderson who runs city of the dead when i was researching my uh, second dissertation that was on the history of the cadaver so i was looking into sort of body snatching and and those kind of funeral practices and all that kind of stuff um but he he gave me some fantastic information just about the royal mile itself so there's um i don't know if you saw uh, paisley close when you were on the royal mile yes uh, heaveaway house so did you see the bust of the little boy i don't recall if i saw the bust of the little boy okay so when you go down the royal mile you look at paisley close Paisley Close has a statue above it of a little boy's face, and it says, um, heave away, lads, I'm not dead yet. And that's because in 1860, uh, there was a fire, the building collapsed, and 30, either two, I think it's 32 people were killed. And as they were clearing the rubble, there was a little boy stuck underneath, and he said, heave away, lads, I'm not dead yet. And they managed to get him out alive. So that's been sort of memorialized in the stonework of the building. His okay. little energy that's there. So it's just, just interesting things like that sort of drew me into the city, really. Well, 
you what okay explain some of the death traditions that are unique or somewhat signature of edinburgh so scottish traditions are, are kind of different from english ones anyway they tend to involve a lot more alcohol um so there's some stories that go with that as well um I don't know if you want another story or if you just want bits and pieces but um so on me. So we have the the wake and the funeral are the wrong way around now so in modern day you'll have the funeral and then you go and have the wake and everyone has a drink and you, you toast the life whatever it's called the wake because you're actually trying to wake them up you're trying to prevent somebody from being buried alive it's a very big concern in the um 18th and 19th centuries so the more raucous the more more people were there the louder it could possibly be the more respected that person was because you were desperately trying to make sure they weren't buried alive so in Scotland, particularly, these would turn into sort of big gambling events, like coffin lids would be used as poker tables and everyone would get very sort of riotously drunk. And then um, you'd have the funeral the next day and whatever. So there is the story of uh, Maggie Dixon from 1724. I don't know if you saw uh, Maggie Dixon's pub on the grass market when you were in Edinburgh or not. I don't it recall. It culminates there anyway. So Maggie Dixon was a barmaid. Um, she was only a teenager. I think she was 19. And she fell in love with the landlord's son and this was 1724 she was unmarried she very quickly found herself pregnant and that was a problem in 1724 so she ran off down to the borders um, to conceal the pregnancy which was a crime under the concealment of pregnancy act at the time she gave birth to a stillborn child and she was found trying to float the body down the river she was trying to pretend that nothing happened um, but they arrested her they said that she'd murdered her baby which she denied they brought her back to edinburgh and she was hanged on the grass market and declared dead. So they cut her body down, put her in the coffin, and her family paid to have her given back to them. And then this tradition of the Scottish weight came into play. So they couldn't sort of set up in a house and have the big kind of gambling night, but they could go on a pub crawl. So that's essentially what they did. They went on a pub crawl with a, with a body. So they, they sort of carried the coffin from pub to pub to pub. And this went on throughout the afternoon until about maybe one o'clock in the morning. And they all thought, really, we should probably bury Maggie now. Like, that's, that's enough. We need to take her to rest. And as they picked the coffin up for the last time, there was furious banging inside on the lid. She'd revived inside the coffin. Um, and because she'd been declared dead once, it was decided it was an act of God. They couldn't hang her again. So she lived another 30 years and she ran a pub on the grass market. Um, and that pub's no longer there, but Maggie Dixon stands there in her honour. So okay. there's lots of, lots of sort of little folky tales that tie into the city as it is today. Uh, and I, I love that the one of my favorite places to visit, uh, there's there's a lot of spots in mm -hmm. the city that I happen to like. But I did join you for your walkthrough of Greyfriars mm -hmm. Kirkyard. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to if if you could share some of the the stories that are especially poignant about that area, both historically and sort of the paranormal lore that's connected to it. And. And I know one that I feel like you're probably definitely going to talk about, but uh, oh, go for it. There's so many, it's dangerous to say that to me. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me most with Greyfriars is the sheer amount of people that are buried there. Um, I mean, the closest coffin lid beneath your feet in Greyfriars is maybe five and a half inches under the soil. Um, so grave robbing was prolific and we've still got the mort safes to prevent that kind of activity from happening. I think there's, uh, there's not many left in Scotland now. Unfortunately, a lot of them were lost during the war, like the ironwork was taken for munitions. Um, but there's some in Glasgow. We've got two in Edinburgh. We're quite lucky. Well, um, and let me just interrupt you for a moment. Yeah. For those that don't know, the mort safe is the kind of the grates. The the barrier is placed over the. Yeah. Grave. So lots of lots of 
quite dodgy tour guides will tell you it's a, it's a protection against vampires. It's supposed to stop anyone from getting out of the coffin. Yeah. It is to stop somebody getting out of the coffin. But it's to stop someone taking you out of the coffin. So you would essentially pay a penny a month to a more safe society. And when somebody died in your family, you'd be given this iron cage. It's always buried down around you. And for six weeks, you keep that. And after six weeks, it's decided you're sort of rotted enough that the universities won't want you, essentially. And it's given to somebody else. Uh, so these were sort of mobile. They weren't meant to be fixed like you see them today. It's just because we don't use them anymore. They kind of sit in situ. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the kind of stuff that really, because I'm very into monumental architecture. So that's the kind of stuff that drew me to Greyfriars in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, I've got a lot of friends who are tour guides, got involved with City of the Dead and the more sort of odd things that you see it it's weird it draws you back it's almost like some kind of masochism you want to see what happens next so the great well, place and so the the story of george bloody mckenzie who was mm -hmm. a lord's advocate in 1677 mm -hmm. imprisoned 1200 uh, I, I think 1200 covenanters who are presbyterian because he was not a nice guy. He was not a nice guy. No, uh, we tend to do that over here with like Bloody Mary, uh, Bloody Mackenzie. We, put, we just put that in the front of the name. It's like a little moniker. Um, but yeah, no, he wasn't a particularly nice man. And I think it's very odd that, I mean, the Covenanters prison you'll have seen is at the back of uh, Greyfriars Kirk. It was the old holding prison for the castle. So it hasn't always been part of the graveyard. It's kind of been added on afterwards. Um, but he's buried what, 30 feet away from that where all that sort of atrocity took place which is an incredibly weird thing to do, to build your family mausoleum so close to where you murdered 1,200 people. It's very bizarre. And he, I mean, like, the treatment that he did when he when he was loading these people back there and then locking mm -hmm. them away, part of it mm -hmm. was to starve them out. Part of it, he was also torturing and doing some pretty gnarly things to these folks, right? He, he essentially just wanted to break the spirit of the Covenanters. So it, they were, I mean, locked inside... Um, the tiny space of the Covenanters prison, it, the walls were slightly higher, so there was a watchtower at one end as well. And they were essentially just starved to death. Uh, there was no shelter in there at all. The, the, the mausoleums and things that are in there today just didn't exist. And they were left in there for nine months over a Scottish winter. So the majority of, majority of them died of exposure or starvation before that point. Um, yeah. Not, not that he needs more of a bad reputation but is it true or is it more part of lore that he was torturing decapitating and putting heads on spikes so anyone who tried to escape and anyone who tried to help were decapitated and the heads were put on spikes above the gates um so he wasn't necessarily going in to torture people he's essentially just abandoned them um and sort of locked them in and and that was that they were sort of more forgotten about than actively sort of intervened with although i don't doubt that the people guarding them would have had some fun with that as well so it's just horrific atrocity went on in that place. It's a very oppressive space to stand in. Well, impressive and also a bit intimidating in some spots. If I recall correctly, there is actually a, a cell within the Covenanters area that that you said you've seen people get visi visibly disturbed and oh, overwhelmed yeah. in. Oh yeah, the Black Mausoleum. Um, so the the um, it's interesting because the vaults that we go into on the tours is where I get the most paranormal activity. That is the most amount of stuff that will happen will happen in vaults. I'm quite comfortable being in the vaults. Like I'll go in there on my own. It's fine. The graveyard at night, I cannot stand it. It's the the amount of things that you kind of see, but it feels quite malicious at the same time. I have lots of people fainting on my tours. Um, people hear bangs, but like the, the collective group will hear a bang, like somebody sort of hitting on the wall. Um, 
I've seen things jumping out at me. I get lots of people saying there's things walking behind me in the background as well. So it's just very active, but all very kind of threatening active. It's not a nice place to be. Um, and and Mackenzie's, as you mentioned, Mackenzie's family uh, mausoleum is just mm-hmm. a stone's throw from where he was uh, imprisoning these 1200 Covenanters. And so that has a bit of a paranormal story, but also sort of a modern day story connected. I mean, he was, we're talking about 17th century in his case, mm-hmm. but in 2002, there was sort of a, a, a modern chapter added to his spooky yeah. story. Yes, that's the story of Sonny Devlin. Um, so Sonny Devlin um, was a 17 year old boy and he was absolutely desperate for a girlfriend. And remember this is 2002, dating apps didn't exist, all that stuff. So he was absolutely desperate for a girlfriend. He didn't really know how to go about doing that. So he found this girl that he really liked and he really wanted to impress her. So he thought, I'm going to like pull out all the stops here. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make her really love me. And he decided the best way to do that was going to be to steal her ahead. Um, So he went with, yeah, I mean, it impressed me, but I'm a slightly strange woman. So he he went to Greyfriars in the middle of the night with two of his friends and he took a pen knife with him. Now his friends kept watch outside. They kicked the doors down to the Mackenzie Mausoleum and um, Sonny Devlin essentially went in and carved off the head of George Mackenzie and they were found uh, playing football with it around the graveyard. So did that lead to some activity as a result of that? Perhaps the mistreatment of the body uh, brought bloody Mackenzie back for them i'm, I'm so thinking we, it's, yeah, go on. it's sorry it's interesting because we call it the mackenzie poltergeist but that's really just because it's better than calling it the mackenzie thing like we don't think it is the spirit of george mackenzie we don't think it's him sort of seeking vengeance or anything i think it is just that sort of collection of energy that is there has unleashed something that is quite um it's got its own kind of consciousness um but it's i don't think it is related to george mackenzie i think we've just kind of given it that name and yeah. it now sort of has its own kind of identity. Um, what I found fascinating about Mackenzie is you do have these people that end up being just uniquely, there's, you know, become uniquely associated with their horrible acts. Mm-hmm. And he was, and Robert mm-hmm. Louis Stevenson even wrote of him, quote, when a man's soul is certainly in hell, his body will scarcely lie quiet in a tomb, however costly. Sometime or other, the door must open and the reprobate come forth in the abhorred garments of the grave. So it sounds like there were stories of Mackenzie and Mackenzie's ghost even during Robert Louis Stevenson's time. Yes, he's he's got a fantastic reputation for being a very nasty, nasty man. Um, but I still, that is the, the thing that keeps I keep coming back to is that he's buried so close to where that happened. I think you have to have some kind of sick kind of pride um, in how you've sort of treated people so badly to, to be able to do that and to bury, I mean, his wife and his daughter's buried there as well. So it's yeah. just a very strange, strange thing to do. Um, I love to psychoanalyze him, but there we are. Yeah, I, I almost wonder if part of this, and we see this, we see this, unfortunately, even in modern times, and mm-hmm. but the dehumanization of someone, if you're viewing mm-hmm. these Presbyterians as mm-hmm. less than human, not worth the treatment, mm-hmm. then then it's no big deal to be buried near where yeah. you imprisoned and murdered them. They weren't even human. Yeah. There's, there's actually just outside the gates of the Covenanters prison. Um, so you've got the two big tombs and then there's a little one. It's at the grave of Alexander Henderson. And he was one of the leaders of the Covenanters. And if you look at it, it's peppered with uh, gunshots because when he was interred there, uh, the soldiers used to come down from Edinburgh Castle and use it as target practice. Hmm. So it's it's a lot of complete dehumanization, lack of respect. Just that it was, 
yeah, an incredible period of history that I think needs to be focused on more, if I'm honest. But yeah. Yeah. Before we leave Greyfriars, I do want to mention the story of uh, Bobby the dog. I guess mm-hmm. that goes back to uh, 1858 and then uh, moving forward. But mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about Bobby? But also something that I took from your tour that I quite enjoyed, the 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 lore and legend that has sprouted about Bobby that is also somewhat damaging. Yes. Unfortunately, I think... Um, it, it's more than my job's worth to give you the real story of Bobby on a podcast. So you'll have to come to a tour if you want to hear the full story of Greyfriars Bobby. Um, but but briefly, it, it, let's just say that the, the history doesn't necessarily match up with the story. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, what I will say is the, the tale is that there was uh, somebody that worked in Greyfriars, right? Uh, and then yeah, so He was a um, poli- either a policeman, policeman or a postman. There's lots of versions of the story, but yes. Yeah. So the story, as I know it, is that um, it belonged to someone that was uh, a policeman or, or worked in the area, had a loyal dog. Uh, the man dies and the dog kept post waiting for him for 14 years until the dog's death is is the shorthand version of the story. The And it is a very heartwarming story, all of us that love animals. But there's also the statue nearby mm-hmm. there and the the lore is that if you rub the nose of the statue it's it's good luck it's considered good luck as you're walking by but it's It's, also quite damaging it's it's not good luck at all this was a rumor that was started by another tour company about 13 years ago and we are desperately trying to undo the damage that this is creating we like please don't touch the dog Um, it's not lucky he's not designed to be touched he's hollow cast so i mean a few more years down the line he's just gonna have a hole in the middle of his face and the gold that you can see is just where the bronze is wearing away so for anyone visiting Edinburgh, please don't touch the dog. It makes us very sad. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's one of those stories that seems harmless, but is actually quite damaging to the, if, to the surrounding area. Yeah, if you do have a compulsion to touch a statue for whatever reason, walk back to the Royal Mile. You can touch David Hume's foot. His toe <laughs> sticks over. You're allowed to touch that one. That's fine. Now, with the uh, some other stories that we could talk, I mean, there's so much, honestly, I know we won't be able to get through all of it, but there's the stories of witches, there's um, the, actually, let's talk a little bit about the underground vaults, and mm-hmm. and if you would also like to talk about uh, the Mary, uh, Mary King's Close, but specifically, let's talk a little bit about the underground vaults, and the significance of those, and, you know, what you talk about on your tour. So, I mean, Mary King's Close and the vaults are kind I mean, they're separate, but they're kind of one and the same. So Edinburgh is, like I said before, it's been rebuilt so many times. Um, and at one point it was decided that the old buildings just made quite good foundations. Um, so rather than flatten everything, they just built upwards. So we are a city upon a city. We've got miles of streets beneath our feet in Edinburgh. Um, and that's what you can see if you go down into Mary King's Close. Um, it goes back quite a way. I think a lot of people were sealed up down there in the plague as well. Well, that's at least what the story is. Um, so it's very fascinating to go down there. You can sort of see the shop fronts, people's houses. It's just completely used as if it was above ground. But it's like a sort of subterranean um, sort of city, which is very fascinating. And then we have our vaults as well. So the vaults were um, completely forgotten about until the 1980s. They were originally designed um, as part of the bridges, the South Bridge are the ones that we go into. And they were supposed to be used as sort of storehouses and workshops and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we didn't waterproof it and it's Scotland. So it rains 98% of the time here. Um, so within a couple of years of being sort of opened to storehouses, they were declared unfit for purpose and everyone kind of moved out. 
So what moved in at that point was the poor who had nowhere else to go. Um, I think the South Bridge has 19 archways and something like four, four to six levels on each archway. So it's just an absolute catacomb of vaults um, that kind of goes down into the city. A lot of it's cut into the bedrock as well. So it's, it's quite interesting, quite expansive when you get down there as well uh, to sort of see what's in there and how people used to live in complete pitch blackness. These stories are at least perhaps theories, though some might be unsubstantiated. Uh, you tell me about the resurrection men and specifically Burke and Hare perhaps going down there for their own uh, purposes of acquiring bodies mm -hmm. that they could then sell off to the medical schools. Is that is that something that you think actually was taking place in those vaults? Uh, absolutely. So Burke and Hare, we, I, I have to make a very picky differentiation. Now, Burke and Hare weren't body snatchers. Burke and Hare were murderers. Murderers, yeah. A, a, true, a true body snatcher would go to a graveyard or a mortuary. They would find somebody already dead. Burke and Hare were looking for the living. So if you're looking for somebody to murder, you're looking for someone who is unknown in the area, maybe new, maybe lost, maybe doesn't have all their wits about them. You want to sort of befriend someone and take them away. You're looking for someone vulnerable. And that's exactly the kind of people who are staying down in the vaults, uh, sort of the vulnerable that have nowhere else to go. And Burke and Hare murdered 16 people minimum uh, within a nine month period. So they were very successful in finding vulnerable people. Is it so? Yeah. And I know that a lot of their work began at their, the, their inn, mm -hmm. uh, but so was it, is it substantiated that they were operating in the vaults as well? Uh, I believe so. I think uh, there's Jamie Wilson or Darth Jamie. He was one of their victims. I believe he stayed down there for a time with his mother. Um, um, there's lots of stories. They could have been at various parts of the city. That was one of the most vulnerable areas. So I would imagine, I mean, if they're looking for somebody to take home, that's where they would go. But obviously they, they didn't write a diary. So I don't know where they met yeah. the 16 people they took home. So um but yeah, I think there was a very high probability that they were certainly stalking the vaults down there. Sure. Yeah, it's easy to find people that won't be missed. Very easy. Yeah. The and if somebody, I mean, you, you've been down there, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's absolute pitch black. Um, so if you go down there and say, you know, why are you sleeping here? Come on, we run a hotel. Someone's going to go with you. Yeah. Well, and, and stories of hauntings down there as well. Yes. Like I said before, it's the most activity that I will get on a tour is always in the vaults an incredible amount of activity in various different spirits. So we've actually recently as well started coming up against somebody called the woman in white, um, who I have no stories about. I've never heard of this woman before, but several of my tours in recent months, people have come out and gone, oh, who's, who's the woman in white? I've seen her in the corner. I have no idea. So we're, we're sort of discovering new stuff all the time down there. It's a very exciting place to be. Mm -hmm. um, even if it doesn't always appear that way, a lot of people come in and are sort of like, oh, it, it just looks like a cellar. It's not though, like the amount of history that is there. And if you sort of pay attention, you will, you, you know, you'll see what's going on around you. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, to the point that you can see some actual bones under there. Are those, are those just props that someone else placed down there or are we encountering through some of these spaces, actual human remains. So there are human remains in the walls. Um, there's human remains underneath the floor in the first section that we go into as well. It was used as a burial site for a long time. Um, there, I mean, yeah, human remains have been discovered down in the vaults. Yeah. The And let me just uh, go through and say hello to some of the people that are watching this live. Michelle, looking forward to seeing you in Virginia City as well. Tammy, hello. And Nikki, I'll be in Mansfield, Ohio at Paris Icon next week. And also hello to New Orleans. Vicky, Dorset, UK, Bobby. Hello, guys. Janet, thanks for hanging in there with us and checking out the talk. So 
the some of the other areas that you would like to talk about. I mean, mm-hmm. what else comes to mind that you enjoy? I mentioned yes, the the witches, which there's a monument, I believe, or a plaque next to the at the at the base of the castle, and then there's the castle mm-hmm. itself, mm-hmm. Uh, where we have stories of a headless drummer boy and the uh, a piper. And yeah. what what are what's a, a favorite of yours that you like to talk about outside of the ones we've already spoken of? Oh, this, well, one of the ones you just mentioned. So the the drama boy. Um, there's apparently there were tunnels discovered from Edinburgh Castle leading down the high street, and they didn't know where they went, but they were so small a grown man couldn't fit down them. So they sent a little boy with his drums, and it got halfway down the mile and then just stopped, and he never came out and never came back, and no one could ever find him. So that's that's the headless drummer boy who you can supposedly still hear. We've got phantom bagpipers. There's supposedly um, French prisoners of war that march around the castle as well. So we've got lots of various ghosts in the castle um but i think my favorite ghost in edinburgh is sophia jex blake and she is supposed to haunt the old anatomy theater at the university of edinburgh so she is part of the original edinburgh seven have you heard of the edinburgh seven probably and i haven't retained the information so refresh my memory shocking so the edinburgh seven were the first group of female students allowed to matriculate into a medical course um, they weren't allowed to qualify, they weren't allowed to graduate, but they could study medicine. So Sophia Jex Blake was one of the issues, a massive uh, feminist. She was an incredible woman. She ended up being the first uh, female doctor practicing in Edinburgh, um, even though she wasn't allowed to graduate. And in um, 1870, there was the Surgeon's Hall riots as well. So these seven women um, had had done their, their studying. They'd, they'd performed just as well as the men had, sometimes often better than the men had. And they had their final anatomy um, examination lined up. And when they turned up to the surgeon's hall to do their um, anatomy examination, there were hundreds of men lining the streets to stop them getting entry. And they were pelting them with stones and with rocks and insults. They closed the gates and wouldn't let them in. Um, and they nearly missed the time of their exams. So in the end, another student inside took pity on them and opened the gates and let them in. And I think it's a credit to these women that after the exams, they refused to leave a side street. They went out the main way again and faced all these men down the street again. And they graduated. I think it was um, five of them graduated in the top 10 spaces. Um, So they did incredibly well, but she was never allowed to graduate. So her spirit is supposed to haunt the old anatomy theatre at the University of Edinburgh, uh, which is where William Burke was dissected as well. Okay. Um, she has been a bit quieter recently, but she was awarded a posthumous degree in 2019. So maybe mm. she's been placated a little bit, but she supposedly wanders around in there. I think she is my favorite. I like an angry, vengeful spirit. <laughs> well, for good reason, too. It seems like, you know, not <laughs> angry, but perhaps not because not angry in the same level of her being awful, but people mm-hmm. being awful towards her. Yes. There's are you familiar with the the Banshee Labyrinth? Uh, I know of it, yes. Yeah, I, I didn't know if that was something that you had any thoughts on. It was I know it's a pub, I believe, where apparently people had seen some, had encountered a banshee. And okay. I didn't know if that was if that was something that you had any information on. Um, I don't have any information on that. What I will say is that every pub in Edinburgh has a legitimate ghost in it. There's Deacon Brodie's on the Royal Mile. Right. Ghost. Um, I work at one of the uh, the comedy clubs. That is definitely haunted. There's 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 so much through the city. It's not hard to come up against a, a place with a ghost, and they are usually legitimate as well. So, you also work at a comedy club. Yes. I, I, <laughs> I don't even, sleep much. I, I was gonna say I don't even know how you found time for this interview. You you are <laughs> a very busy person. You're covering lots of ground. Um, yes. 
So, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, considering all of your credentials, what what is the appeal for doing the ghost tours? Simply, you know, quite quite frankly, you have enough to keep you busy. So what is it about doing these tours for City of the Dead that is fulfilling for you? Um, part of it is that, I mean, a very small part of it, to be fair, is that I get to meet people from all over the world. Like, you know, there's such a mixture of people and experiences and hearing other people's paranormal experiences is really fun as well. A larger part of me is that the scientist in me wants to see what happens next. Like, I, I like evidence and the amount of things that I have either experienced myself or had other people report to me that I, I can't explain, I'm fascinated by. So I would much rather keep myself in there and try and get an answer to it or try and just see if something else happens. It's very, um, like I said, masochistic, because sometimes it's not very nice, but I want to know what's going on. So yeah, it's, it's definitely that kind of inquisitive draw to it. I mean, I I would most certainly agree with that. The mm-hmm. the This kind of shared experience and the fact that mm-hmm. we're all heading in the same direction mm-hmm. uh, at different speeds, but we're mm-hmm. all going to get there. What is, what is the story and why even in... Yeah modern era we're still telling these very Mm -hmm. these patterns and these these stories uh Mm -hmm. over and over again yeah yeah i think it's there's it's interesting a lot of people will come on a tour sort of absolutely convinced and they are ready to see something and they're quite disappointed if something doesn't happen or you get the people who don't believe in any of it it's all a complete load of rubbish but then something will happen and they will leave petrified And it's usually the ones who don't believe in anything that will experience something. It's almost like whatever is out there wants to prove it to you. It's, it's very intense atmosphere to be in. Culturally, every, every place has sort of a different thought on ghost stories or talking about ghost stories. And Mm -hmm. while yes, uh, most certainly it seems like every, every pub in, in Scotland overall has a, Mm -hmm. has a ghost associated with it and, some places uh, advertise it a little bit more than others. It's a great mm-hmm. talking point and makes it a great landmark for tourists. Mm-hmm. But culturally, do you find that most people that live in Edinburgh want to talk about ghost stories or does the common person just treat it as like, ah, rubbish, they don't want to get into it, especially when American tourists show up and like, tell me a ghost story. Um, so, I mean, in general, if I was to meet a stranger in the pub, it wouldn't be something that would be discussed. But I, I struggle to think of a friend I've got now who hasn't encountered a ghost at some point or who doesn't have a strange story to tell. Like it's very ingrained in the, the psyche that we discuss these things um, and we all sort of share our own evidence and our sort of questions and things, you know, ex- explanations for stuff. Um, but I think that you've sort of summed it up quite well and said well, when it's tourism, because a lot of people either look at you like you are completely mad Um or they're sort of in it for a kick. And it's it's not really a kick when you're describing something quite sort of frightening that's happened to you. It's it's quite personal mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, I, I do, ha- most of my friends will have will have had an experience somewhere. Um, not necessarily in Edinburgh, but definitely at some point. Right. Did you ever experience anything as a, as a child and uh, growing up in the UK in Leicester? Um, nothing in Leicester, but I did have a, a house ghost when I lived in Wigan. Um, who I named Mavis because I thought it might make her happier. It didn't. Uh, so I had Mavis for a little while. She flooded the house out. She was fun. Um, and then since I've been doing the ghost tours, I've been followed home twice as well. Um, Wait, back, back up with Ma- Mavis. <laughs> what, what, what did Mavis do? Poor Mavis. Uh, like... she, flooded, she flooded my house. Um, I, I was sort of umming and ahhing between moving to Scotland or not. And 
on the cusp of that she made the roof leak this the sink broke the toilet flooded the like everything just water everywhere and all at once all in one and as soon as i said fine i'm going it all just stopped it was very very weird wow yeah she, she chased me out whether or not she was trying to get rid of me or trying to give me a push i don't know yeah i mean maybe it's on overall it seems like mavis did good by you she yes, maybe she motivated did. you yes i'm very grateful to mavis um, uh and the well and let, and let me also say to the folks out there uh hello, <clears throat> hello brandy no i've got a frog in my throat um and hello sandra um someone asked if we're going to talk about jack um is mm. there yeah go on yeah jack's my favorite um has that person can i ask is that have they been on the tour have they experienced jack or... I, I will ask them uh yeah. please let us know if uh if you have been on the tour but but yeah what for those that haven't give us a a little bit of a brief rundown of jack yeah, jack's my most active entity he's always been the most active with me as well we're, we're quite pally me and jack so he's a little boy he's around six or seven years old um and he's very very sweet um, he's very, very interactive, um, and it's thought that he's he's sort of looking for his mum, so he will tend to interact with women. Um, he does interact with men occasionally. Um, it tends to be the ones that really don't believe in him. He'll sort of, like, go and give him a little poke or something. Um, but he's a very, very cute little boy. He will steal off you, though. He takes things out of pockets and stuff. Um, but, yeah, he, he will either um, sort of tug on somebody's coat or he likes to sort of wrap his arms around legs. You get a very cold sensation around your knees when Jack's around. Um, and usually he'll be sitting on the stairs when we go out as well. I've seen him quite a few times, just like little glimpses sitting on the stairs as we leave. So this is in the vaults? Yes, in the vaults. Okay. okay. Yeah. And and it does turn out that this person has been on tours with you. It's great. Excellent. Good. Hi. Thank you. Hi. So are there any other legends or odd lore that are sort of tangential to the ghost story that you happen to like about Edinburgh, uh, you know, the could be cryptids, could be other strange mm -hmm. occurrences, anything that comes to mind? There's, I mean, there's not really, I'm not, because I've not, I've, I've lived here for about seven, seven eight years now, um, but I grew up with English kind of folklore. So I, I, I've heard other people talking about sort of things like that here, but I'm not that familiar with it. Um, but I think really, you don't really need to focus on that when you have Edinburgh, because like I say, there is a ghost on every yeah. corner um so that's that tends to be what i'm drawn to more like the human experience of it mm -hmm. more than anything else but i know a lot of people if you climb arthur's seat they say to avoid the lights and things like that because if you see a light and go towards it you'll you'll end up falling off and and sort of things like that so there, there are sort of urban legends that float around but i find the actual history far more exciting so. right and i was i was specifically thinking in my mind arthur's seat that it's a gorgeous area to walk around mm -hmm. and also connected to well some people connect it to lore mm -hmm. about King Arthur and Camelot. And then mm -hmm. I guess in 1836, there was these, the coffins that were discovered there. Yeah. Um, but are, yeah. you, are you familiar with that one? I am. Yes. They're in the National Museum of Scotland. So I've seen them quite a few times now. So there are 16 coffins, I think. And they're supposed to line up with the 16 victims of Birkenhead. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not someone was trying to give these people a funeral or not, we, nobody really knows. Um, but they are quite fascinating little, um, little peg doll kind of things mm -hmm. um but there's there's quite a few theories other people sort of say it could be some kind of witchcraft or it could be sort of like voodoo kind of magic going on i, I think it's more likely that they do represent the burke and hair victims and it is some some kind of effort to put those spirits to rest um but i suppose we'll never know so but they are very fascinating to go and see and these 
the you mentioned witchcraft and i mentioned it this mm-hmm. the stories of people that were tried and murdered mm-hmm. because of their beliefs i mean i'm of the very much trying to uh, uh, be honorable to the fact that mm-hmm. that these are people that had beliefs that were outside of the norm and they were murdered for it, or they had psychological problems or they were considered mm-hmm. hysterical women or whatever. It was just a, mm-hmm. a catch-all way to get rid of problem people. Yeah. Yeah, you- and, that, and that's the thing. It was problem people. It didn't even necessarily have to be because you were, you know, mentally unwell. It could just be that, you know, you didn't like cooking dinner on a Friday. Oh, she's a witch. It, right. it was very easy to get rid of people with that excuse. Um, Are there stories of the paranormal that you believe are connected to some of these victims of of uh witch trials um there are stories oh i think we did we freeze can you can you see me okay i think i have you back i don't know what happened there sorry um yeah there certainly are stories down in in the vaults in certain sections of the vaults but that's not somewhere that i've told and it's not stories that i'm very familiar with um but i mean if you look at the treatment of the prisoners in the toll booth prison if you go to the heart of midlothian next to st giles cathedral that's the entrance way to the old prison and the the reports of how people were treated there is just as bad as the the way that the witches were treated as well um so i think we've got quite a history of being quite sadistic to people weaker than ourselves in in Edinburgh. Um, I mean, globally. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is is Thomas Weir? Are the stories connected to Thomas Weir? Said to be this uh, Satanist and has lots of colorful tales connected to him, and I mm-hmm. I believe even ghost stories connected to him. Is this something that you think is just more? lore or was this a person that was truly up to no good um i genuinely can't answer that question i i'm i don't know the stuff that i have heard i've always taken as more sort of fanciful tourist kind of stuff mm. um but i would i would quite like to look into that a little bit more and sort of see dig a bit deeper and see what's going on i just haven't had the time for various reasons for the all of the projects that you're involved with <laughs> 700 jobs yeah <laughs> Yeah, and 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 let me just step back to Gray, Greyfriars Kirkyard mm-hmm. just for a moment. Um, well, two things that I think people would be interested to hear about if they don't know it already is there's a bit of a Harry Potter connection in these mm-hmm. in this area. Yeah. Um, so J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter books in the Elephant House Cafe. So that used to stand on George IV's Bridge. It burned down a couple of years ago, which is a massive shame. Um, but it used to overlook the uh, the back of the graveyard. So um, she would take frequent breaks, have a little wander around, and she will always deny this, by the way, um, but it's too much of a coincidence to not be true. Sorry, JK. Um, but lots of the names of her characters are taken from headstones in Greyfriars. So we've got the Potters are there, the Moody's are there, the Blacks are there. We've got, I think there's the Grangers somewhere. We've also got uh, McGonagall, who's my absolute favourite. Uh, the original McGonagall was um, a really bad poet and sort of lauded himself as the, the best poet uh, that had ever been and he was completely in love with queen victoria as well which was quite sweet uh but yeah that's that's where the name of gonagall comes from so yeah yeah it's quite interesting to do a little tour around see if you see how many you can find oh we've got uh voldemort as well tom riddle he's in the corner so right yeah it seems like maybe a little too much to be a coincidence yeah. i don't know that jk really turn tunes into my podcasts and live streams but uh sorry jk uh <laughs> you out 
yeah it's, it's a very odd thing to lie about when it's like but we have a list here so like, well, no it's nothing to do with edinburgh but it clearly is so it's also a strange thing yeah to to tell a tale about when it's actually an interesting connection to the place mm -hmm. that that you were you were spending so much time in yeah and the and somebody in the comments says in the in the north section of southbridge wiccans are conducting rituals to guide lost entities in their next life and protect the structure by trapping or banishing demons or poltergeist i cannot speak to the veracity of that but that is an interesting um point it is interesting it's not something that i've heard of but i'd be i'd be up for seeing what that's about yeah uh i me as well and also just about kirkyards the or Greyfriars. i was i was curious if you could add some clarity to the apartments that seem to be the flats that are built in mm -hmm. into the wall and then we also yeah. have the tombs in there uh -huh. sort of the story behind it because you hear a lot of tour guides spinning different yarns mm -hmm. about that mm -hmm. so edinburgh originally was surrounded by something called the flodden wall um, it was a there's part of the structure is still left standing in Greyfriars. We've got four surviving sections in the city. There's one on Greyfriars, there's two on the grass market and one on a street called the Pleasance as well. So if you look on a map, you'll see a very rough original kind of boundary line to the city of Edinburgh. And then even more than that, if you walk down the Royal Mile, you come to a pub called the World's End. And just outside that, the cobbles in the road of brass. And that's where the original city gates were. So you can kind of see the city was absolutely tiny. I think the Royal Mile um, was sort of the, the length of the city and 10,000 people lived in a mile stretch of space. It was ridiculously packed in and overcrowded. So that meant that every section of space was used. So we've got the, the buildings in Greyfriars are built right up against the flodden wall and they've just kind of always stayed there. Um, and it's it's just kind of been rebuilt and reused, but we do have a very strange kind of setup now of residential buildings, graveyard straight away. Yeah, um, and It looks quite harsh, but when you know that everything was that compact uh, for so long, it, it kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And for you personally, I something I really appreciated about your tour is you were also quick to debunk some of the stories that are not historically solid, uh, historically mm -hmm. sound. Are there any tales that for tourists that come to the city, you just want them to not have the incorrect impression or information mm -hmm. Uh, about uh, any of those kind of popularized tales that you just want to kind of debunk yeah uh, i mean well i've already said bobby's nose please don't touch the dog right but Hare, so many people think that grave snatching uh, grave robbing and body snatching are interchangeable terms they're not they're completely different things in law um and birkenhair were not body snatchers that drives me absolutely potty and so oh, yeah the body snatchers birkenhair they questionably they might have done one their first victim might have been a snatched body after that, they were murderers. They were the first serial killers that we sort of documented in Edinburgh. Um, and it really frustrates me when people turn up and say, oh, they were body snatchers, because they absolutely were not. And it kind of, um, I always want to say that it sort of, it gives a bad name to the actual body snatchers, which is a weird thing to say. Um, but yeah, like actual body snatchers, they would be gangs of people who had no better way of making money a lot of the time. These were very, very poor people who found a, a way to make a lot of money doing very little work, which I'm fairly sure we could all do. Um, mm -hmm. given the opportunity. Um, but yeah, Burke and Hare were opportunistic and they were um, very nasty men as well. Uh, Hare sold out Burke, right? 
He did, yes. He turned King's evidence. Um, so in exchange for his own freedom, he dropped his friend in it, essentially. And he was released. Yeah, what was the, the rest of his days like? So he was the only serial killer in history to have been uh, in the hands of the authorities. He also wrote and signed a full confession and was just let go. Um, so he was um, quite naturally chased out of the city of Edinburgh by the population. There are reports that he was blinded in a pit of lime and sort of kicked out over the border into England. There's other reports that say that he went, he went to America. Some say he went to Belfast. Um, so we don't really know where he ended up. He probably changed his name and kind of disappeared at that point. Um, his wife never left Edinburgh as far as I'm aware. She stayed here, uh, which yeah. is quite a brave thing to do. Um, but yeah, he he kind of disappears. The The most convincing evidence that I've had is that he went back to Belfast. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the uh, the anatomy inspector for Scotland. Uh, that, he gave me that information, actually. So I think he went back to Belfast. Mm-hmm. It's um, widely believed the wives were aware of what was taking place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, when they were caught, so the the night that they they rent, they essentially rented a room out to a couple and forgot they had a body hidden in it, and the the couple went in and found the the feet sticking out from under the bed, essentially, and raised the hue and cry. And and Hare's wife was sort of begging them like not to go to the police, like it's all right, it'll be gone in a couple of hours. So there's no way that they couldn't have known. You know, you can't really hide a body in someone's house when you live in two rooms, mm-hmm. and not have them know about it. So I, I think they were probably quite complicit in that. And I know it's not necessarily something you're able to talk about on the tours uh, just because of the location, but uh, is it Dalhousie Castle, Castle, a little bit outside of Edinburgh and Borthwick Castle? Mm-hmm. Uh, those two locations have some uh, fascinating ghost stories connected to them as well. Um, I know Borthwick Castle does. I'm not familiar enough with them to be able to tell you about yeah. any of them, I'm afraid. It's okay. Um, I know it's a little bit outside of the, mm-hmm. the grounds that you cover. Uh, you wouldn't yes. be able to walk there with a tour group <laughs> no no a little bit out of the way uh, but both looks absolutely beautiful so if anyone gets a chance to go there i can recommend that one so yeah said to be uh home to the ghost of mary queen of scots i guess um so I, I, yeah i think maybe she's got better places to haunt i can see darnley haunting a few places but yeah yeah. Well, and it's always a question about why is a place haunted? I mean, I op- mm-hmm. operating off of theories, who is to say uh, mm-hmm. why one would stick around a location versus not? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, if I should become a ghost, I'm not going to be staying in New York City. I'll be heading off to Fiji or somewhere quite warm. Traveling ghost. Yes. Yes. Traveling yeah. ghost. Racking up the... just... uh, sorry. What was that? Oh, I said racking up the miles, the uh, frequent haunt mile- miles, I guess. Yeah. Go for it. I, I suppose it depends if you think that ghosts have consciousness, because if if you have a consciousness, then you actively choose where you are. Whereas if you'll say um, the ghost of Catherine Howard runs the same corridor in Hampton Court Palace every night screaming um, for her life. I don't think she does that because she knows she's doing it. I don't think she makes an active decision. All right, come on, it's 10 o'clock, off we go. I think that's that sort of history replaying itself. Mm-hmm. So it depends sort of which theory of haunting you go with and why somebody might be there as well so there's lots of different layers to think about yeah i kind of go with all of them i think it's possible Mm -hmm. since we don't know and there's not necessarily rules that we're Mm -hmm. familiar with it's quite possible that we have the residual haunt the echo in time as well as maybe Mm -hmm. someone actively having unfinished business Mm -hmm. and then something else and then other things entirely that that are haunts out there and I mean, you can get one ghost can haunt three different locations miles and miles apart. So that yeah. that's another thing. Is there three of that person now or is it residual energy or like, you know, how do they how do they do it? So it's when you actually start digging into like theories of haunting, it's very, very interesting. Kind of the the physics of it, I suppose. 
I am going to throw a, a final comment up here because I cannot speak to the veracity of this. And I was curious okay. if you had any awareness of this. But my friend Eric said he is a um, academic. So hopefully he knows what he's talking about, Eric. But in the comments says the uh, Scots called spirits the she, but spelled it as the Sith. And they were all drinking whiskey. So I can't speak to the accuracy of this, but would enjoy this Star Wars connection. I, I do love Star Wars and I am a Star Wars nerd, but is this something that you've heard of, the the she, the Sith? Um, I, I, I don't speak Gallic, but it looks like it could be true because uh, Gallic doesn't make any sense as it's as it's spelled to how you pronounce it. To me, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so it could be true, um, but could you be. need to find a Gallic speaker. I know. All right, mm-hmm. the the Eric, that is on you. You you have to find us a Gallic speaker to be able to <laughs> verify this. Um, but it is interesting, and I do mm-hmm. appreciate him speaking to my sp- Star Wars love. <laughs> um, and uh, Charlie, you know, before we wrap up, before we let get, let you go, how can people support you? Keep up with the work that you do, and um, how best might they be able to catch up with you on a tour? Um, so I am on Twitter, so at CG Anatomy, that's me. And if you want to book a tour, um, there's sort of few and far between at the minute with all the other things that I've got to do. But um, if you get in contact with City of the Dead and ask for when I'm next available, come along. So I tend to do the double dead. So we'll do the um, the vaults and the graveyard, get double whammy with me. And you have a book as well. I, I do have a book coming out, yes, but that is not particularly paranormal. Um, but yeah, there's all the information on that on Twitter. That's about arts and medicine um, and, and various other bits and pieces. So, plug it, Charlie. What is it? It's uh, it's called the um, the art of medical communication, bringing the humanities into clinical practice. So it's all about how we can use poetry and literature and film to make us better at talking to each other and a bit more empathetic. So. I think that most certainly applies to even paranormal <laughs> research. So, I mean, it, it's it, even being a better human and better communicator is important for life, but also pursuing the afterlife. So I, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So. Yeah. So, well, Charlie, I'm going to ask you to stick around even after I sign off for a second. We'll speak offline, but Charlie, Guy, uh, we I, I'm so appreciative of your time. I know it's quite late over there. And she is a ghost tour guide with City of the Dead Tours in Edinburgh, a researcher with a focus on 19th century death, tradition, superstition, and monumental architecture, and a human anatomist and a trained, uh, trained in full-body dissection and gives a really great tour. So... Charlie, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. It's been a very quick hour. Thank you. And I'm Aaron Sagers, and this has been Talking Strange. If you have stories you'd like to share of the strange and unusual, email us at talkingstrange at denofgeek.com. And until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. 
And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Mm-hmm.